0: Welcome to another episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Uh, today we're talking about Cisco Virtual Desktop Infrastructure, also called Cisco VDI, with Cisco expert Brian Hilton and our Cisco Champion hosts, Meredith Rose and Michael Rhodes. I'm Amy Lee San Juan, Amy Lee San Juan on Twitter, and I'm on the Cisco product marketing team. Okay, Brian, can you introduce yourself and your role at Cisco?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Emily. Uh my name is Brian Hilton and I'm Cisco's Global VDI Technical Solutions Architect. So basically I help customers only from the third rock from the sun uh basically understand how to best architect and uh design solutions to run virtual desktops on UCS and HyperFlex, which is our hyperconverged platform.
0: Great. Sounds like a fun job. It is a blast. <laughs> <laughs> Next up Meredith, tell us more about yourself.
2: Uh, hi, I'm Meredith Rose. Uh, my Twitter handle, Twitter handle is Mare3DithRose, M-A-R-3-D-I-T-H-R-O-S-E. I'm a Senior Consulting Systems Engineer with Worldwide Technology, or WWT, Cisco partner. Um, new to Cisco Champions program this year, but I've been a CCIE for 21 years, so long-time Cisco fan. Brian, going back to you, do you have a Twitter handle?
1: I do. It's uh, VDI underscore
3: geek.
0: Ah, okay, I like it Appropriate All
3: right. Over to you, Michael. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, my name is Michael Rhodes. I, my, Cisco, or my Twitter handle is Cisco Mikey, M-I-K-E-Y. Pretty simple. I am the IT manager for a company called North American Hoganess. It's a subsidiary of a Swedish company called Hoganess. We are an industrial manufacturer of iron powder, so it's a big-time manufacturing environment. I've been dealing with Cisco since I started, and I love it. It's great, and this is my second year as a champion
0: all right kicking it back to your brain so can you set us up what are we talking about today what, what's our goal here
1: yeah absolutely so everybody who's listening in uh is probably familiar with uh, the situation the world is facing uh, from a remote worker perspective you know when the pandemic hit and basically folks you know may have woken up that morning fully expecting to go into an office uh, receiving a, a text message or a voicemail or an email Basically telling them that they are mandated to stay from stay at home, that they cannot go into their office and continue their business uh, productivity, um, you know, uh, responsibilities um, to support the business. And a lot of customers were challenged with how to handle business continuity as all of their employees are now working from home. So, you know, we're talking about how Cisco um, is approaching solving those challenges with our customers and uh, definitely, you know, looking forward to hearing the dialogue from Meredith and, and Michael as well and um, in, in their background related to how the industry has been facing these challenges today. So with that, um, you know, Michael, I, I want to ask you a quick question. You know, we've, we've spoken in the past uh, a couple of times around, you know, some of the challenges that you know, the, the teams faced and, um, how you've, you've been able to overcome a lot of those challenges. And, uh, I really love hearing your story and definitely looking forward to hearing, you know, um, you know, what some of the solutions that, that you had in place to, uh, to overcome this and, and give your end users the experience that they needed to, to continue to, to operate in their business functions.
3: Yeah, I'd be, uh, I'd be happy to. So my VDI story goes back a little bit before, uh, the Hyperflex story actually, and, uh, it's actually been pretty cool. We started VDI um, almost as like a test, test bed, just something to try. We had a regular VMware environment, and uh, we're like, hey, you know what? Let's try this VDI thing, and it worked initially for our workforce, uh, our floor workers. Since we're heavily an in-person kind of work, it makes sense for uh, you guys who just need email. It makes sense for people who are just checking our internet or general internet browsing. Not a heavy workload on the VDI at that point, uh, and it grew. It really did. It grew into like a more... Natural progression into knowledge workers, engineers. Uh, one thing along the way, we did throw in some GPU, which I think is cool. Um, and then it only made sense then to break it out into the external world, right to enable sales workers, remote teleworkers, uh, people who didn't need to be there. So uh, you know, kind of started off as almost like you know like any other thing that grew some something so small into something you know we heavily relied on. And if you want to talk about complementing it, when you went from traditional UCS with blades and we did not have a solid state SAN, we had a hybrid SAN, uh, you know, performance is good. But VDI, we all know, kind of does, if you don't know, I guess it could, it does need some good uh, drive speeds, you know, so your storage doesn't matter. We moved to Hyperflex and uh, that went all flash at that point. Big time performance, big time benefit. uh, Really happy with that. But yeah, it's kind of, like I said, it grew, it grew into something and we had it as a wouldn't say a primary need, but it was there and it kept getting bigger and bigger, which has been great. So uh, obviously when the pandemic hit, it it really came into play.
2: One of the things I noticed um, that our company experienced as well as many of our customers is that once people had to work from home, not everybody had a device at home. They didn't have a corporate issued laptop at home because maybe they worked in the manufacturing floor or other place. How has VDI kind of handled that? Like how did it scale? How did you quickly get these people with their own Personal devices and their public internet or or cable modems at home to securely access the data in the data center without concerns about security.
3: So we built our uh, our external platform, you could say, or how we access our VDI from a security standpoint. So we have users who were traveling years ago and they wanted to be ultra light. So we kind of built our VDI our external sites anyway uh, around the idea that they could have an iPad or a zero client wherever they were at. So uh, the guys who were already at home had that zero client at their house, iPad one travel. And when, with the pandemic hit, we just said, all right, you have the choice either to take a personally owned laptop device, iPad, whatever you had, install the native, uh, VMware app or use the web browser. And you could just literally have all of their functions of their corporate world on whatever computer they had. And if you're not aware of that, uh, in our case, VMware, they have a, web-based app. They have an install app and or a Xero client. And it really doesn't matter how you access it, but your experience is actually really the same. So if you have two monitors at home, you have dual monitors on VDI. If you had an iPad, it'll scale. And actually what's nice is you can go from the iPad to the double screens or quadruple screens if you really wanted to or had them, and it just scales within a few seconds. You're in one zone to another, and it's really fast and on demand. It's really cool.
2: Yeah, VDI has come a long way with the Cisco infrastructure Let's say it's not your parents' VDI, right? Where you like one <laughs> Citrix server sitting in the data center. Certainly not, um, no. Yeah, you have this amazing scalable infrastructure so that people can do things like multiple screens, video conferencing, you know, heavy, intense apps that mm-hmm. they basically wouldn't have been able to do if they actually tried to do them remotely. User experience would not be good. So there's so many benefits.
3: Exactly. One of the really cool things is I have a, a couple, small developer team And they were kind of hesitant to move to VDI a little bit ago. And when they realized that I could give them more GPU or memory within a few minutes, as opposed to having order it, install it. And then even then they're still limited once, you know, their their personal computer would max out. Whereas this is kind of near endless, you know, as many resources as I wanted to give them, they can, they can have it on demand, which is really cool. Something you just can't have with traditional compute. And, uh, with the VDI, the Hyperflex, uh, kind of marriage it's really nice because you can grow your nodes out very quickly you can add more memory you can add more storage and you're always getting that benefit of the entire uh computer you're adding you know if you had another server another node server or just memory to it you can just spread it around and it's it's very uh quick to adapt and especially in today like uh you know companies were under the gun to to get themselves up with you know vpn or clients with our nodes it was so much easier because we just had we had space in our hyperflex so we could just add more memory if we needed to or storage or GPU whatever you needed.
2: That's a great point because the it was like a hockey stick curve in terms of utilization, you know, kind of humming along, you know how many users you have, what the resource requirements are, all of a sudden people are working from home, you got the power users, you got people who want access to all kinds of data and information. And uh, you've got to suddenly scale up quickly, which is not easy to do if you're just running on like a standalone server, right?
3: It's really not. I mean, you do have to do your homework on it. Like, you know, figure out the secure gateways. How are you going to do it? Are you going to do load balancing, some kind of load balancer in there? So you have, you know, The server spun up, so if something were to happen to one of them, you know, you don't lose everybody. Next thing you know, you get 45 to 200 phone calls in a few minutes saying, my computer's disconnected. So there is some planning that needs to be done for sure uh, in that, but with the Cisco HyperFlex, it's really, it really is actually easier than back when I had the traditional blades and SAN, because I can have that uh, more redundancy built across the four nodes, which is what I have. I have four nodes in my cluster. That's awesome. And
2: what kind of density do you get for how many workstations can you get with that kind of? A couple hundred, pretty
3: easily. You know, we could scale up to a couple hundred. It depends on how much memory uh, and CPU they're demanding. Uh, But I have no trouble going to a few hundred within a day. That was really easy for me. And that's actually what happened. So we we did need to scale up to a few hundred pretty quickly for the knowledge workers, uh, people who maybe have some health concerns who are saying, you know, I'm traditionally always in the office, but at this point I'm going to be working from home. I don't have a laptop and VPNs. You know, not the best performance. Even even if it was a great VPN, it's still not the best experience. So uh, when they went to VDI, they were actually really happy with the performance, and many people actually give us kudos. You know, the IT department isn't always uh, on everyone's radar to say they did a good job when everything's running. You're doing your job when it's broke. It's the end of the world. And uh, with VDI, I got a lot of kudos saying this is actually pretty cool. Uh, A lot of nudges from spouses saying, you know, why doesn't my IT have this these cool tools? Why why do I have to use this old laptop and uh those kind of things that's kind of fun you, you don't get that a lot in our world and when you do it's, it's pretty cool especially in a pandemic time
0: absolutely i know i know i'm running low on memory on my laptop i would love michael if you could just push me more <laughs> memory it's just it's, it's just <laughs> that would be so convenient it's a reboot
3: away <laughs> <laughs> brian have you seen us uh, rise in the use of the gpu cards in in the Hyperflex?
1: Yeah, that's a, a great question. I mean, you know, when we think of work from home today and we think of, you know, uh, changing the way that we work, changing the way that we consume resources, you know, uh, web-based training um, is definitely something that we're having to um, adopt more as we continue to, to work from home, right? Um, the number of uh, webinars and WebExes that folks are attending today is just through the roof, Right. Um, being able to, to handle the, the bi-directional audio video of those events and being able to handle uh, just the, the encode aspects uh, required to, to give the end user the experience of a PC, but in a data center is definitely something that we're seeing a traditional, you know, virtual desktop deployment have to adopt a GPU um, just to handle the additional um, uh, parallel processing, if you will, of those tasks. Um, so absolutely. Yeah. We, we think of that a traditional knowledge worker in the way that they consume resources. Um, you know, corporate websites are so much more, you know, rich graphics intensive than they were in years past. You know, another reason that customers are starting to pick GPUs as part of the, even the traditional knowledge worker scenario. So yeah, we're, we're seeing that across the board as well as even in the virtual workstation use case. So it's really cool to hear your story about how, you know these higher end users that traditionally need a physical workstation to drive the applications that they're using, can now run those applications in the data center and get a better performance by running those applications in the data center.
3: On uh, and in your example, HyperFlex, for example, right? I think really what's really kind of brings it all together for especially for those engineers in my world who need CAD, you know, Autodesk or one of those products, they they don't really think about if they're on VPN, they're going to have to copy files uh, in our case, like Vault. They would have to copy that locally to their desktop, render it, do their graphic work, and they got to copy it back. And if they're allowed, uh, you know, those are some security protocols where you don't want to keep versions and, and those kind of things in that software. When you keep it all in the data center, as far as they're concerned, you know, it's in their house. But really, it's all data center server to server. So the performance and the speed is also a big benefit. Uh, I think people think, oh, you know, I have a virtual computer they don't really kind of understand where it sits and honestly do they care they shouldn't have to care but whenever stuff opens like an instant I mean that's when they're really like boy my day is that much faster and with VPN there is complexity right that it kicked off their internet home could be flaking out what's I really like about VDI too is the fact that if you were to walk away your computer dies gets you know something happens to it you just pick up where you left off on the VDI. It's always there, right? Uh, Amy Lee can walk away and have her computer sit on, you know, VDI could be on for 20 days instead of 10 days until it needs a reboot or something because it's there. It's always in the data center. It's tucked away. It's where it needs to be. um, And, you know, you get kicked off VPN mid Word document on a shared file or something as simple as that. You're trying to recover it, right? With VDI, you don't quite have that, which there's so many other little nice benefits to it that uh, I just think that the world wants to hear about it they get really into it. And it's like, almost like an easy topic to discuss once you know about it. I think getting the word out is a big, been a big, big challenge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and also thinking about, you know, just talent acquisition, right? So, you know, depending on where your headquarters was, you know, you may have, um, you know, a, a, a new project that comes along and you're, you're looking for, for new headcount to, to help support that project you're no longer limited by where your headquarters is located and being able to support users anywhere across the globe is a a huge benefit for, for customers moving into this kind of remote worker situation that we're facing. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's been many customers where, where basically they, they don't live or their, their headquarters isn't close proximity to where the headcount uh, would be needed for a project that, that kicked off. And, now they can actually, you know, uh, bring the new talent on board much more quickly without even having to ship them a laptop. You know, the majority of, of, uh, you know, uh, the remote workforce today has some type of personally owned device that they can just take advantage of and access those corporate resources day one and get those resources starting to, to do those, those business functions much quicker than, than historically.
3: I would a hundred percent agree with that. I think when you, uh, when you're looking at these, how you deploy, you know, from a corporate standpoint, there's so much onboarding involved, you know, encrypting hard computers, installing windows. I mean, I can spin up a VDI in a matter of minutes, single minutes, uh, you know, to get someone's new workstation set up. And I just dedicate the, the resources needed, put the OS on. And, uh, and if they're lesser, they can use link clones and just have a a vanilla desktop. You could say, you know, where they're getting a shared resource kind of thing, a pool, or they need that dedicated space, but either way, it just takes a few seconds, you know, to config and set up and, uh, then it goes back to that whole security thing. I don't have to worry about those resources wandering away. I can control things like USB ports and you know what resources are available to them. So it's really it is. It's really it's a well thought out solution. And I think uh, Meredith mentioned you know this is this has grown into something that was kind of like a nice to have to a boy. We could really depend on this, which is nice.
2: Yeah, that velocity of getting new users on board without having to have a warehouse of laptops that you have to image and ship, and then who's going to set it up? Mm-hmm. really takes this to another level
3: and we all know our help desks today are just you know inundated with with little questions because people who were able to walk down the hall and get it support are now you know in queues and emails and i think this is one way just to remove some burden from you know traditional it by using these resources
2: so we've come from a decentralized model sort of where that horsepower was on the laptop i want the biggest processor and memory and all that all these especially power users to a more centralized model so how do we maybe brian you can answer cisco mitigate the risks of that design because now we're at a point where if that system were to go offline everybody's laptop isn't working or that's what it would appear to them anyways so we mentioned load balancers and i know there's some built-in high availability in the architecture maybe you could talk about that for a minute
1: yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. When, when uh, Michael was speaking earlier, you know, I was thinking about the, the squeeze the balloon scenario where basically, you know, the, the traditional IT help desk may have fewer phone calls related to the desktop support, but now, you know, the infrastructure team is, is carrying that load, right? So you mentioned if, if a server were to go down, how many users would be impacted, right? Um, and then you have corporate IT reaching out to the infrastructure folks, trying to, trying to do some, some diagnostics of, of how those, those users uh, could be brought back up. And that's, that's the beauty of VDI, right, is their desktops can spin right back up on another server within that data center. And since the user's data is in the data center as well, those desktops have very little impact to the end user experience. You know, um, all the data that um, they had on that laptop, for example, if a laptop were to crash that data is gone in most scenarios. If, if the hard drive were to die, for example, um, you know, in the data center, you know, if, if a VM blue screens, for example, you know, that data is still in the data center. There's, there's no risk to that data um, or very little risk to that data, if you will. Um, you know, so again, you know, we think about, you know, just the, the visibility from uh, how traditional servers are architected You know, they have RAS features or reliability features built into the server architecture to help mitigate a lot of the risk associated with, um, you know, power related issues, um, you know, memory related issues, things of that nature. And uh, it's much more resilient um, as compared to a traditional laptop or desktop, if you will.
3: I would uh, second that. Actually, I have a follow up question to that. Where do you see, um, from a Cisco standpoint, ACI coming into play for this?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, um, from a networking topology perspective, a lot of customers are looking to simplify the overall deployment of uh, traditional architecture into um, you know uh, more of a software defined architecture. And you know, we have a, a dedicated team um, within the data center space that's purely focused on ACI and a lot of the best practices around that. And uh, you know, they definitely work to develop and design solutions um, of how solutions will be built on top of that platform. So. Um, yeah, there's, there's, of course, ACI and Tetration from a security perspective and being able to, to have more of an analytics uh, approach to the security aspects um, for east-west traffic isolation,
3: uh, for, inclusive of, of the Tetration agent as well. Meredith, you're pretty uh, outside customer facing. Have you seen a rise in, in people having this discussion about BDI?
2: Yeah, absolutely, especially as we see things like the need to migrate from Windows 7 to Windows 10. people Some of our customers are already behind on that or needing to push out an application quickly or an update to an application and also backing up these devices, thousands of laptops and the concern about what if it is stolen or lost or damaged. Um, We got to think about how are those backed up? How do we recover that data? Now it's all a non-issue, with the VDI. So I think the benefits are becoming very clear to our customers. So we're seeing a lot more requests for that.
3: So in my case, whenever we had our discussion with some of our leadership team for the local, you know, U.S. vice presidents and president, uh, that was actually one of the major talking points was we have, back whenever people would travel, we would often go to China. And that was always a big concern. You you heard about Chinese, uh, you know, if you're in those kind of countries that have different security risks associated to them, uh, what would happen if their laptop would be stolen? Because we do have some IP in our company that we need to be careful with. And uh, the decision is kind of made that if they're going to go to these countries, they would only take... uh, they'd have a VDI spun up for them if they don't already have one. And they would take basically a blank laptop essentially with only that app installed. And that was going to be their single point of contact in and out because you're only getting that screen presentation. So that laptop gets stolen for, you know, uh, IP purposes where they're trying to get in some kind of information off of it. It's not even an issue anymore. Uh, you know, it's just all in the data center. So whether they're, I think it, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but we definitely have reduced our risk of those security breaches. Same thing for like much of the data data loss; it's all there. So, uh, and we did enable MFA on ours, so there's you can even do that. So, one level and way to enhance security is obviously turn on that multi-factor. Uh, that way, the kids don't get to it.
2: Yeah, it's a good point. Kind of reminds know. me of a
0: Inspector Gadget. Can you do like a remote uh, self-destruct <laughs> if it gets stolen?
3: <laughs> That'd be nice, huh? Not mine. <laughs> Just walk away. But no, it is. It's the flexibility there, too. I mean, just the fact that you can have it on so many different devices. And just for fun, I think we've even went out and even got some $50 Android tablets uh, that were this low-end as you could get just to see what the experience was like. And honestly, it was perfectly fine. So, I mean, VDI is extremely flexible, especially as long as you have that, that really nice uh, infrastructure behind it, right? You don't want to spin it up on old servers uh, that are just all non-virtualized or anything like that. You wanna make sure you have a good foundation and that's whenever you get the performance. So I think if you go down the VDI road, doing your homework, like we mentioned earlier is best, right? You wanna make sure the resources are there. And uh, in my case, like when COVID-19 hit and we were like, what are we gonna do? We had planned enough resources in for for some growth year over year. And luckily we had that that available, you know, to grow up pretty quick. Uh, I think some companies, they kind of just build it to spec and then hope they never need more than they planned, and then they're in trouble. Uh, but I will say that if you have HyperFlex, growing is a lot easier. Brian, have you seen a lot of people, uh, you know, who've gone down that road during the pandemic, quickly spin up new boxes?
1: Yeah. So as as you know, a, a response to a lot of the situations that customers are facing, um, you know, our, our business unit within Cisco uh, basically came out with um, pre-built solution IDs, uh, basically sized to help customers with traditional knowledge worker use cases. Um, So basically they were predefined solutions built at 500 user increments for hyperconverged with hyperflex as well as converged stacks as well uh, for customers that already had existing infrastructure and they just kind of wanted to expand their existing infrastructure to support um, those additional users for business continuity purposes. Um, you know, and these, these were designed for quick shipment. So basically they were designed for more of a, a two-week lead time of shipment of resources, um, you know, on, based on component availability for supporting, you know, those users that we identified. Um, so, yeah, definitely seen a, a significant shift in the way that customers are, are looking to take advantage of. Um, not only doing this, you know, to address the current situation, but also to um, possibly maintain a um, approach like this moving forward, uh, you know, after the dust settles, right? Um, if customers are experiencing, you know, a, a better end user experience and they're experiencing, you know, uh, more productivity from their users, you know, why not keep them in the situation where they're most benefiting from the solution, Right. Um, you think about, you know, most end users have a commute of anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour each way into an office today, right? This uh, being able to have that much more productivity out of, you know, the staff is, is a huge benefit to organizations. So, um, and plus from an end user perspective, the, the work-life balance is, is much easier to manage. You know, they, they can dial in at night after they, you know, put the kids down to bed and, and be able to, to help, you know, get ready for the next day, if you will. Um, just to, to make sure that they're best prepared to, to tackle the business for the next um, next couple of days.
3: I, I would agree. I think this does kind of set the standard for the new norm, right? What is, what do we go, how's it going to look going forward? Are we really going to go back to the office traditionally? You know, it's not like they're going to turn a switch and this will all be over. I think a lot of businesses are having that exact conversation saying, what does the new norm look like, right? And if if it's working, it kind of shows, uh, you know, that we had the world's greatest proof of concepts for this, right? right? Like, is this going to work? Well, you have about 24 hours to figure it out. Let's find out, right? And that's, it did, it shook out really well. And companies in my situation, right, uh, they were very happy with it. But if this is the new norm, right, people were happy and they're being more productive, saving time, why not keep going with it, right? Yeah. Work is, is
1: no longer a place you go. It's, it's something you do, right? <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: hmm Now, have you uh, had the, is the conversation with HyperFlex and VDI around traditional uh, HyperFlex, or are you seeing some people talking about Edge? Because I've been doing a lot of research about it, this new HyperFlex Edge, where it's no longer fabric interconnected. Uh, are people actually looking to deploy VDI uh, with the Edge platform?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've had we've had some customers, you know, bring up the topic of of Edge for VDI. Um, you know, especially if you consider like an RDSH scenario, um, where you have you know multiple users connecting into a server based VM, um, you know, uh, based scenario. Um, you know, that tends to be the easiest way to scale for, you know, quickly getting users up and running, um, you know, more of a task worker scenario. Uh, but there's, there's definitely been interest from an edge perspective um, for, for smaller sites. Um, you know, as long as the data is closer to the users is, is really the key there. So I'm just so Michael, thinking,
2: were you looking yeah. into like ISR routers with an E-series UCS blade or were you looking more like a smaller UCS footprint?
3: Probably just to like a smaller UCS is my thought. I'm thinking that, you know, a customer who might be wanting to try VDI, they might not have the design perfectly, uh, you know, for their data center today. I think Edge might be just a perfect way to do it. traditional UCS, like two uh, C series, you know, stylings that, that sit there without fabrics, like maybe Catalyst 9500 connected to it. And then, uh, you know, dedicated VDI design. That was more of my thought. The the ISR with the VMs in it. I don't know if that's quite a, a good solution. I mean, it, maybe it is, but that'd be really small. I think.
2: Yeah. What do you think, Brian? Is that something that's uh, feasible for a small branch office, or is it better to go with something like a C Series?
3: Yeah,
1: we would definitely look. You know, just from a, a storage footprint perspective, you know, HyperFlex Edge uh, is a great solution for uh, for those you know kind of uh, you know remote office situations, um, and it's going to give you. You know, the right amount of, of processing power we look at, at for example windows 10 uh, you know we were speaking earlier about the com- comparison of windows 7 to windows 10. Uh, windows 10 has uh, a little bit more of a, a resource bump in in its requirements than you know traditional windows 7 and uh, with the hyperflex edge and hyperflex you know data center approaches you know we, we take advantage of the latest intel processing architecture but we can also retrofit those with gpus from nvidia for example um, to, to help kind of offload some of the CPU utilization that a lot of traditional knowledge worker applications would, would be faced with. So, um, you know, today I don't believe that the ISRs can, can support, uh, a graphics accelerator. So we would definitely look to, uh, take advantage of at least hyperflex edge for, for those types of situations.
2: Makes sense. Yeah. So what about managing all this, Michael, what do you use and, and Brian, what do you recommend maybe as a follow-up question?
3: What I'm using is, uh, you know, vCenter for for the VMware uh, part of it. And then we did go to Intersight, which to manage our our HyperFlex, which has been really nice. Uh, You know, we're all used to just so many complicated GUIs and drill downs with Intersight. Honestly, it's been really nice. If anyone's ever checked out Intersight, I strongly recommend uh, doing a demo of it because it makes uh, management so much easier. Uh, I can do things like upload logs, attack automatically. It can kind of suggest uh, when I'm going to r- run low on resources, it's really actually really, really neat from a data center management perspective. We're so used to such cumbersome tools and, uh, keeping that close eye where your system admins have to like do their daily checks, you know, hard drive, light walkthroughs and you know, what we're all used to in the data center. And you don't have to do that anymore. You know, Intersight it will say you're going to run out of storage in X days. Maybe you're going to run out of CPU or GPU, whatever it is, they, they give you so much, uh, insight into your data center without having to drill down or, or be aware of everything. And my favorite thing is there's a mobile app. Uh, <laughs> I check my mobile app all the time just cause I can. And it's really nice. So that's how I'm managing my site today. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. I would uh, definitely piggyback on, on that answer, right. With, with Intersight it being, you know, the, the beneficial kind of glue that, that sticks it all together, especially from a global management perspective. You know customers deploying at the edge in the data center you know at the remote office branch office you know there's so many uh single panes of glass out there that you would have to tap into if you didn't have some type of um you know way to to bring those resources together to align uh, a lot of the analytics that you can capture from those resources and really be proactive in the way that you address potential scenarios, potential risk um, as as the environment's being monitored, right? Um, you know, we think about the connected TAC piece and being able to um, have a system automatically um, report back that you know there's a potential memory issue and and opening up a TAC case and having TAC proactively reach out to you as a sysadmin and say, hey, we noticed that this server has a a, a dim that's failing. You know where would you like us to to ship this to, and who would you like to be the on-site contact for replacing that DIM? So a, a lot of customers are benefiting that you know as as they they look for that single pane of glass for for managing their infrastructure.
3: Oh, it's it's it is very nice. If you don't have to page through you know 36 pages for TAC to upload, I'll do that all day long. I mean it is <laughs> it actually I can attest it is very convenient, very very nice. That's one of my biggest gripes. I'm like oh do I open this TAC case because I don't want to you know, batch out all those logs and upload them and have that at your fingertips to do it for you. is just been, you know, honestly, it's been a game changer for us.
0: Great. All right. Great. Well, guys, uh, this has been another great episode of Cisco Champions Radio. I want to thank all of you for listening in today. And a special thank you to Brian, Meredith, and Michael for sharing your wonderful insights and hosting today's session. Click on the link provided in the podcast description below to learn more on Cisco VDI. And just a reminder, be sure to look for this episode and other great episodes anywhere you can listen to podcasts, including SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TalkShoe, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. This is Amy Lee San Juan signing off. Until next time, my friends.